Hall of Fame coaches, national champions, lottery picks, the best minds in basketball. Welcome into the sidelines with Evan Daniels. What's up, college basketball fans? Welcome back into the Sidelines Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Daniels, college basketball insider over at FS1, as well as the director of basketball recruiting at 24-7 Sports. Today's episode of the Sidelines Podcast is the 55th episode, and today's featured guest is Purdue head coach Matt Painter. Painter and I discussed a wide variety of topics, including how he got into the profession Gene Cady, Bruce Weber, some of the best advice he's received, and a recent story he wrote about recruiting to your culture. Before I jump to that interview, I want to make sure that you are subscribed and supporting the Sidelines Podcast, and the best way for you to do that is to shoot over to Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app. Hit the subscribe button for me. Also, leave a rating or a review. You can also shoot me a note over on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Evan Daniels. Without further ado, let's jump to that interview with Purdue head basketball coach, Matt Painter. It's time to go with Evan Daniels. Send it in, big fella. Now let's welcome in Purdue head basketball coach Matt Painter to the Sidelines podcast. Coach, how are you? Doing good, doing good. Thanks for having me on. Of course. If, if, uh, if I had won 17 straight pickup games, I'd be doing pretty well, much less 17 <laughs> straight college basketball games. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. It's always, uh, you know, you're making mistakes when you win, um, but obviously you're not making enough to lose the game. And I think that's probably the one thing when you're, playing, coaching, going through things, you can be riding the highway, but things can, you know, come to a halt pretty quick um, if you let them. So you're just trying to keep guys on edge and keep guys sharp and just like staying on the court in a, in a, in a pickup game. You know, if there's two, three people back and uh, you lose, you got to wait 45 minutes to play. You normally leave the building. So you just want to be able to keep winning and keep doing those things necessary. No question. I didn't like leaving. I always liked getting, getting shots up. So we'll get back there to you go. <laughs> I normally left. <laughs> we'll get back to your current team in a second, but uh, I want to talk to you a little bit uh, about your rise in, in the basketball industry and, and you played for a legendary coach in Gene Cady. I'm curious, can, can you put into words the impact that he's had not only on your life but but your playing and coaching career? Well, it was, you know, one of those things when you're deciding <clears throat> you know where to go to school, who to play for. It was something I talked about when I got recruited that I wanted to get into coaching. Um, at the time, they had GAs. Um, and then when I, by the time I got finished playing college basketball, they didn't have GAs. So how you kind of started your career and not having those type of opportunities at that time in the early 90s was a little bit different. I had to go Division three, then I went Division two, and then I ended up getting a, a low Division one uh, full-time spot at Eastern Illinois. So I was very fortunate in that regard, but it really helped me because um, I think the, the guys at Purdue, um, whether it was Bruce Weber who, who moved on and I ended up getting hired by him or Kevin Stallings had left right before I had gotten there. He had some guys and um, that had moved on in the business. So coach Katie was great. You know, he was, um, you know, one of the nicest guys you'll meet, you know, he doesn't look that way during the game, um, but just a very down to earth um, good guy. And so that, to me, that was, something I always carry on when I'm, when I'm recruiting in a sales pitch is, you know, it's still a people business. There's so many things from your facilities. You can go on and on, but you still have to circle yourself around good people. So I feel fortunate for the position that I'm in, but I also uh, made a pretty good decision when I was 18 years old to, to be around guys like Tom Ryder and Bruce Weber and, 
um, you know, Coach Katie. And so I feel very, very fortunate that, you know, I, I made a good decision at that time. And then those guys have been able to help me in my career. It's kind of crazy to think back about how a decision you make when you're 18. And, and I made a similar decision um, in terms of something that helped me get into to my profession. But it's kind of crazy to think back how a decision like that when you're 18 years old can help shape your career. Yeah, and so many guys, um, and I talk about that. I said, you know, who are you lined with? You know, I, I ended up getting lined with Bruce Weber, and that's how I got my start. You got to be lined with somebody. You, you just do. And um, I was very fortunate to be his assistant for five years. And then he left. And I always tell this story. You know, Roy Williams left Kansas and went to North Carolina. And, and Bill Self left Illinois and went to Kansas. And then Bruce Weber left Southern Illinois and went to Illinois. I was the assistant at Southern Illinois. And then I got moved up to the head coach. And that's where the that's where it stopped a lot of times. And when you're coaching out there, you don't want it to stop because you want the dominoes to keep going. So it's more opportunities for more people, but that's how I got my opportunity. If Roy Williams stays at Kansas, it changes the course of my career. And, um, and so you, you got to get lucky. I was able to get lucky on two different occasions. And, but back to what I said about being aligned with people, a lot of kids this day, they, they don't get that piece of it. You know, you go somewhere and you transfer and you maybe transfer again in your fifth year. And, now all of a sudden at the end, you're like, you're constantly searching for the right situation. You're constantly searching for the right style. You were constantly thinking the grass was greener on the other side. Now you're out in society and you have a degree and maybe even a graduate's degree, but who's out there working for you? You know, who's behind you? For sure. And if you just get a piece of paper and you just get a degree and you have no contacts, I mean, that's hard. It's hard to battle in the real world by yourself. You need people to help you. And I think that's the one thing about going somewhere and staying somewhere. Maybe you don't have the best career, the greatest career, um, but you built that loyalty to that program. And then, you know, you, you have an alumni base, you have coaches that can pick up the phone and call for you. So those are some of the things we talk about, you know, with recruits and talk about guys that we get is that, you know, I replaced a guy that was here for 25 years. This is my 13th year. And so we don't just pick up the phone and try to help guys you know, with alumni, we just, there's enough alums that played basketball here that can really help you, whether you want to be a doctor, or you want to sell insurance or, you know, coach basketball or teach school, you know, it's, you got to be able to think about life past basketball, but a lot of times it's not. And um, that that's hard, but I think the ones that do get that and they understand, you know, they don't let basketball use them. You got to use basketball. They, they really benefit from that. Of course. And I want to get to the recruiting piece here in a minute. But I want to stick with, with Bruce Reber. You mentioned him. You obviously uh, worked for him at Southern Illinois. He coached you as a player. What's maybe the biggest lesson or thing you've learned from your time in talking to Bruce Weber? Well, I think, um, you know, I was very fortunate. I worked for a guy named Rick Samuels, who was at Eastern Illinois for 25 years. Um, Bruce Weber's brother was an assistant there. He had left and went into high school coaching. They made a lot of cuts. Um, from a financial standpoint. So he went into high school coaching. He went to be um, Brian James's assistant at Glenbrook North, where John Shire played, Chris Collins played. And he was his assistant for a year. And then Brian ended up leaving after that first year. And David got that job. David Weber got that job. And um, Brian went to work for Doug Collins for one of his stints um, in the NBA. So, um, you know, very fortunate at 25 to be able to get that job. And Bruce Weber helped me get that job and coach Katie helped me get that job. And then three years later, you know, being able to go to Southern Illinois, I think just being around those two guys, Rick Samuels and Bruce Weber, 
it was more of what they did every day. You know, good, um, good family men, just very straightforward, did things the right way. Um, both of them, there were some similarities. Both of them had three daughters. Uh, and so, it, it, so sometimes the stories is just the hectic of, of raising three daughters when they're, you know, in middle school, in high school, in elementary school. And so it was at different times, you know, for both of those guys. But um, taught me how to run. They both taught me how to run a program. I think a lot of times we're constantly trying to figure out how to coach, um, how to get ahead in this business. But so many guys don't know how to run a program in terms of the academic part of it, the structure of it, um, you know, being very proactive from a social standpoint, having guidelines for guys and, and what they need to do, but also giving them freedom and educating them on their decision-making process. So I think that was very, very beneficial um, for me that I was around straightforward people. I was around good people. I was around good coaches. Um, you know, Coach Weber right away when I got the job, and I was 28 years old there, told me I was going to save money. You know, he's, I don't know, he, he paid me 25 grand, 30 grand. It wasn't very much. Um, but he told me right away, I don't care what it is, but you're going to pick, I think it was $400, $400 is what I chose. I think I was going to save a month. And so I was like, man, this guy's crazy. (laughs) He's barely paying me and he's making me save $400. And he didn't pick the total. He just said, you pick it, but you're going to save money. You need to learn to save money. So many young guys don't get that. You know, you, you can learn to do without just whatever you make, act like you're making less. And it was pretty cool because five years later, I get that job and I'd save, that's what I'd say, $400 a month for five years. That was a pretty good, that was a pretty good egg right there. And so um, it was uh, very, very beneficial because I never bought a house before. So I bought a house right as I got um, that job at age 32. So that was my first house that I bought, you know, assistants that move and go into apartments, duplexes, and they just... Yeah, couch, whatever you can find, you know, you don't care. You're just, you know, trying to move up in the business. So, but it was things of that nature. Um, he, he was really good at that. And um, he really cares um, about people and really cares about um, players. And so I think that was, you know, treating players right, being demanding of them, but, you know, building those relationships with those guys through the recruiting. And then obviously once you get them. You know, you know there's one thing about this business and obviously it's a very competitive business. Guys want to, win obviously but but so many guys share ideas uh with, with other coaches and I, i'm curious outside of uh, of a gene katie or a bruce weber are there any other mentors or, or coaches that you talk to regularly to kind of exchange ideas with um not a, not as much I, I went to some clinics billy donovan was nice enough he always had a clinic for a couple of days and they invited me to that larry shyatt would run it um, you know, Brad Stevens has got a group of people together here the past three or four years. Um, and I, I go to that. Um, you obviously speak at some, some Nike clinics, but I've always, you know, just growing up in Indiana, I had a good high school coach, Stan Doherty. Obviously you're growing up and Bobby Knight is at Indiana. Gene Cady is at Purdue. Digger Phelps is at Notre Dame. Rick Majerus, when I was in high school, was at Ball State and I'm from Muncie, Indiana. So I, I, I was very fortunate to be around a, you know, a good high school coach around great college coaches in, in the state of Indiana. And so I've always kind of played that way. And I've always kind of just kind of tried to figure things out from there and learn from a lot of different people. I've probably learned more, not from talking to people, but, about, but by kind of studying them and watching them. I watch a lot of basketball, um, whether that's NBA, whether that's 
college. I think you're constantly trying to learn new things, but I've also stayed pretty similar um, to how we play and say very basic. And I learned a lot from Bo Ryan um, in that aspect, you know, in the fact that he was a very simple coach. He never picked up a grease board. Um, He always talked his way through things. You know, they ran a particular offense, but they, some years they would just run a wing ball screen and just movement and spacing. And it was simple. And uh, they, they simply went to the final four for a couple of years. I think Brad <laughs> Stevens, you know, Brad, sure. You got to have players in both of them. I'd say, but Brad Stevens, the way he did things at Butler and he really dictated tempo and time. And he played matchups a little bit with Gordon Haywood wouldn't always put him on that three or the four and sometimes the point guard. And so you can learn a lot, um, from people, you know, and, you know, Tommy is being in this league for the 13 years I've been here. And anytime I'm, I'm like at, at Bay and I'm like, you know, how do I defend this or how do I do this? You know, go watch Michigan state, you know, go, you know, go see how they're doing it. And um, there was an old thing. They used to have travel partners Evan, in the big 10 when it was 10 schools, um, you know, in the eighties and Purdue, whenever they would play Michigan, you know, say on a, on a Thursday, you know, then they would play Michigan state on a Saturday. And so they would always try to, you know, worry about that game, but also worry about the other game. And finally they just kind of stopped and said, let's do the scouting report, you know, on that, on that Thursday, you know, when we play Michigan, but not worry about Michigan state on Saturday, because Bobby Knight's going to play Michigan state on Thursday. And I think he'll get that figured out. And so we'll just watch <laughs> and see how they do things. So then when they roll into Saturday, they'd go watch the Indiana Michigan state tape. And then, you know, Makes that sense. was that. And so, yeah, so it makes sense. So you can learn a lot from other people, and sometimes it's not because a lot of times, you know, you deal with people it's like, are they really giving it to you at a clinic? Are they really giving it to you when they're right. talking to you? But but when they do things, you know, they're trying to win that game. They don't care about that stuff. They're trying to do it. So you can kind of watch their patterns and behaviors um, of the success that they have. And you, you can also learn the other way. You can learn through the failures of other people. You know, so one thing you don't want to be, you know, you want to be, you know, strong about your convictions, but you also don't want to be so stubborn where, you, you know, you can't see things and you don't do what's best for your team. But some people are, and some coaches do get that way and they get stubborn about certain things. And uh, people would probably say that about me, about zoning, and I don't zone. So, um, but that, that's part of, that's, that's, that's a strong conviction for me. Um, but now you can watch a lot of people learn, you know, what to do and you can learn what not to do. One thing I'm curious before we move on, I feel like I have to ask. I was I, I was watching the Cooper Manning minute the other day, and it was talking about how you uh, you were a forklift operator uh, when you had your, yes. your your first job. How much of a grind were those first couple years as a coach trying to get in the business? You know what? I only yeah, it's not like uh, the horror story that was. You know, he kind of threw that on me. Someone hadn't brought that up to me for a long time. It was 25 years ago. First of all, um, <laughs> I did it for a couple months. You know, I, I had enough money. Um, that I had saved up. I just thought I needed to work for two, three months. Um, I just wanted to coach, you know, I got a degree from Purdue. I just wanted to get, but I couldn't get a job. I couldn't get a GA job in division two, which I was really trying to do. I just couldn't land anything. And I was able to go with one of Purdue's former assistants, Tom Ryder, who was here the whole four years and I played and, uh, but it was a volunteer job. You know, they, they could get me some money through, um, you know, putting the media guide together, which wasn't much at a division three level. Um, and so I, I drove a forklift for a couple months just to get enough money. I was living in, um, the associate athletic director and his wife, their, their basement. 
I was paying $160 a month. That was my first, that was, so I didn't need a whole lot of money. So I was just, I was trying to get enough money to get that rent money, pay that off for the year, then have, you know, $200 or so a month to be able to live off and then just kind of move from there. Now you wrote a story on uh, coach speak recently about recruiting to your culture. And this is something that I, I've been a little curious about the gist of your, your, what you wrote was about recruiting players that are the right fit for you and your program and the right fit for winning, not, not chasing individual success. And, and sometimes that means not recruiting the best overall player. How much betting Correct. players do you do when you're looking at yeah. guys to add to your program? Oh, I do a lot of it. Um, I do a lot. I try to do it just probably more discreetly than anything doing your work. Um, no different than somebody having a reference page in their resume and say, here's my references. And, you know, we all know about calling those people and what they're going to say. You know, I don't want to call someone on your reference page. I want to call somebody else. I want the unbiased opinion um, of you. And a lot of times you don't get that, but you got to go be able to go and find that. So we're constantly working, um, you know, on those things, constantly working at understanding that. Are you a good kid that made a mistake in high school? Or is that who you are, you know, especially from a social standpoint, you know, we've all seen people make social mistakes, end up learning their lesson from it and being better because of it. But we've also seen people, you know, do that and they're consumed with that. You know, I always say that about, you know, your religion, um, academics, you know, basketball and family, you know, you, those are four things in there and they can, you put those four things in any order you want to put it in. But if your social preferences leapfrogs, any of them, then you're in trouble. If, if, if your social life is more of a priority than any of those four things I mentioned, then we're going to have issues and, and you're going to have issues and this isn't going to work. But if we can get that figured out before, um, you know, you got to get competitive people, you know, competitive people, man, you can make a lot of mistakes, but if you keep grinding it and keep fighting people and you're good enough, you know, obviously you have to be good enough. Right. And then I try to really work towards a skilled guy. I'm a guy that understands, um, you know, the game of basketball. And so I think there's exceptions to that rule. Those outliers, especially comes with size. It's hard to get size. So we've been fortunate enough to get quality size, but I think that's the one thing that is very, very difficult. Um, getting someone who has the ball in his hands the most, um, that's about winning. You know, Dakota Mathias is about winning. PJ Thompson is about winning. Um, those guys get it. They have the ball in their hands. Ryan Klein's a guy that came from a great high school program. Um, they were about winning. They had long possessions in high school. Um, and, and sometimes people look at you and like, well, you know, what, the, what does that mean? Well, you've got to be able to put people on defense. You've got to be able to run offense. You've got to understand how to break people down. So trying to find out those pieces. We, we took a kid from Toledo, Ohio, Ryan Smith. Um, the start of the summer, he was a D2 player. You know, we ended up taking him um, – even people on our staff are like, man, can he, you know, can he play here? And just, he was so confident in his abilities and he was so competitive and he could really shoot. Now he had some flaws in other areas, um, but those to me stood out. And, and, and the fact that he believed in himself so much um, kind of won me over, but trying to get those guys. I think when you see a talent like Carson Edwards, I think that's and the way he can shoot the basketball and he was competitive and um, you know, he wants to win and, um, those things I think are easy to me. That's easy. Right. Um, finding those other guys, you know, PJ Thompson, a lot of people passed on him. And the only thing he's done at Purdue is win. Um, now he's got other good players with him, but he plays a great role for us. Um, and so you've got to be able to piece your team together, 
Um, you also got to get the right guys, but you also got to be able to I've walked from two or three guys here in the past, probably three or four years that man, it made me cringe when I did it because they were so talented. We could have had them, but I just was like, I, I, I just can't do that. I've already done that. Um, that doesn't make sense um, to do that, but they are going to go somewhere else and probably have some level of success. You got to be able to pass on it. And uh, that, that's hard to do. But um, after you go through a couple of tough years, um, I, I don't want to do that anymore. You know, and if we're going to lose, I'd rather lose with great guys. I, I just don't think we will lose with great guys. And I think that, that that wins out a lot when you get guys that can take care of the ball, make free throws, make threes, and they want to win and they're coachable. Matt, I think in recruiting, unless you're a, a blue blood, you almost have to have a niche in yeah. a philosophy. Yeah. And, and maybe it's as simple as what you're talking about in terms of, of com- like competitive kids and, and that type of player. But what's your philosophy in, in your all's niche and how you want to build this team? Is it, you know, you've got one international guy on this team. Do you go try to grab somebody over there? Do you want to have a transfer? Right. Like, what's, do you have a niche? I, I wouldn't say, you know, I think at, at one time we probably recruited, tried to recruit the best players that were closest to us. And we still do. And we still try to saturate this area right here, but we also try to kind of go through it with a little bit different outlook and making sure they kind of fit those guidelines that I talked about. And just because, you know, they're an hour down the road doesn't always mean it's the, it's the best fit. Um, there was something Ronald Norwood said, who played at Butler when he didn't um, start on that second final four team and they interviewed him. It's always stuck with me. And I always talk to it um, to our, our, our players about this. And, he, and one of the announcers or guy that interviewed him said, you know, does it bother you that you're not starting on this final four team? I think it was leading up to that second final four. And he said, you know, I didn't come to Butler to start. I came to Butler to win. And that that's always stuck with me in terms of like a recruiting philosophy, you know, right. when this, you, you ha- it's a, there's, there's a selfish bone to everybody in recruiting. You have to see where it fits for you, but yet it's a team sport, but there's nothing wrong with you seeing where it fits for you. As long as it doesn't supersede what's best for the team. And if you really pound that drum home and you keep talking about it and guys jump on board with that and they get that, man, that is a, that's a real advantage. Now, in recruiting, that's difficult because sometimes the kid will get it or somebody close to him will get it, but there will be others that don't because they're thinking, hey, man, you got to go do what's best for you. you got to keep doing it. but you also got to do what's best for you in a team concept. If they, like, don't quite get the fact that, hey, we're trying to win a championship here. We're trying to advance deep into the NCAA tournament, but it's a process, and you got to be able to follow this process. And if you're not all about that, then you're not probably, you know, our guy. So our niche is really just trying to find those type of guys and people that kind of get that. And that's sometimes that's an education to can, is this guy, do you think someone you can mold, you know, to, to think that way? Cause you're still dealing with a young mind, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old is when they're normally making their decision. So that's, that's really kind of our, our niche and what we've tried to do, but more of an, being open-minded about it instead of always as a coach. I think people always ask us questions about having the answer. Um, I think the more you go on uh, trying to figure out of letting the answer kind of come to you and asking more questions instead of giving more statements, um, which is, which is tough and like in a Q and a, but that's <laughs> kind of, 
<laughs> that's kind of how I kind of look at just trying to say, hey, you know, have an open mind here. I don't know what this person's been through. I don't know what, because things can be camouflaged. You know, they can they can be saying all the right things, and that's not who they are. You know, they can you know not know how to kind of go about answering things and talking, and they, they could be reserved or shy or guarded or you know whatever it is. And uh, so you so you have to be able to kind of get through it and and, and try to find. Um, the right answer. Well, you've certainly done a great job of finding the right guys. Your current team is sitting at number three in the country, undefeated in league play. You you have an oppressive blend of perimeter shot makers and some really effective post players. What's been your biggest takeaway from this group through 23 games? I would say our our decision-making. I've really tried to fight them on not thinking about their shots, not thinking about you know, scoring points, just playing. And we play Maryland on tomorrow on Wednesday. Uh, We'll play Rutgers on Saturday. And whatever they give us, let's take. And sometimes you can't do that. If you don't have a skilled enough team or you have a more athletic team in your drivers or you're just flat shooters and that's all you are, we have a good balance. So we have a great post-up guy who's, who's tough to handle, um, if you're going to leave him one-on-one, he's, he's proven to be pretty successful. Um, if you're going to double him, he's proven that he's much better at making decisions and passing the basketball. We have maybe the, one of the most versatile combo forwards in the country in Vince Edwards who can post up, can drive the ball, can shoot threes, but he's also got a good assist turnover ratio. And so we've, we're playing four guards counting him with Carson Edwards, Dakota Mathias, and P.J. Thompson you know, that all have good assist turnover ratios. All of our starters shoot good from the free throw line. Um, all of them have good three-point percentages. So it comes down to decision-making. Let's let's make good decisions. Let's cut hard in our sets. Let's execute in our sets. Um, let's move the basketball. Let's be aggressive in transition when we have numbers and angles. Um, so I, I think the balance of what we have and the experience of what we have and the maturity, I wouldn't say we're unbelievably mature, but we're way more mature than we used to be. Um, it's really hard to be have a mature pulse when you have everybody that feels confident about shooting the ball because that, that's what they'll do. We'll have stretches for a minute or two where we get away from what I just said. And all of a sudden, like, one guy passes, he shoots it. The next guy passes, he shoots it. The next guy passes, he shoots it. And then we got to, like, take a step back and say, okay, let's execute here. Let's run offense. Let's move the basketball. Let's share the basketball. But it's also a part of being confident when you do shoot the ball at a high clip, you know, you, you, you feel confident. You're going to, you know, Hey, I, I got this, I can do this. And uh, you, you got to be able to have balance. And I think that's the one thing that we've had here through this stretch offensively is we've had pretty good balance. Isaac Haas has had games where he took one shot or four shots because they just load up on him. And um, you know, we hit a lot of threes and our premier guys play well. Then we've had games where people have played him one-on-one, you know, he was 10 for 17, Uh, In the last game, that's a lot of shots for him. Normally people don't let him shoot 17 times. Um, So the game before that, I think he was 10 for 14. So that's a lot of attempts, but they didn't double him as much in the last two games. And so just kind of taking what they're giving us. Then I think we've been much better on defense. Um, We struggled a little bit against Indiana. We had breakdowns. Uh, Michigan really made some tough shots against us. Um, But we had breakdowns in that game. That's a tough matchup for us, just like we're a tough matchup for them. Um, so just trying to get that balance of being stingy on defense, making good decisions offensively, um, and then rebounding the ball. We've, we've been good at times. We've been bad at times. We've been in the middle at times. That's kind of where we are in our league in the middle. Um, we've got to continue to 
to work towards being a better rebounding team. Just from watching you all, one of the, the the first things that really has stuck out to me this season is how much Isaac Haas has grown and developed. You know, coming out of high school, he was ranked the number eighty-five player in the country. Obviously, that was a mistake on my end. Um, now he's one of the uh, elite players in college basketball. He's basically automatic over his left shoulder. I mean, he's borderline a cheat code at this point. What's his developmental curve been like? Well, that's uh, the one thing that we yell at him. It's funny about his left shoulder. Um, he's been great, you know, in, and to his defense, we've had A.J. Hammonds, we've had Swanigan, so we've had other guys. And so he hasn't played as much in his first three years, and now he's getting a chance to play more. You know, I think he's had about 23 minutes a game now. Um, but we always tell him to go over his left shoulder until they stop it. Yep. Um, he made four plays, four baskets over his right shoulder in, in the last game. And so, but if they don't want to get there, we, we yell at him to constantly go over that left shoulder because it's such an automatic play. And then when people really try to overdo it, that's when they start fouling him. And then he can get to the free throw line and he shoots 80%. But um, he's been really good. He's been really consistent for us. Um, and he's kept his wits about him when he has those games where he only gets a couple shots. And um, one of those games when he, so I think he took one shot against Iowa, one for four. Um, something like that. I don't even know, but I know it was low. You know, we made 23s. So like, you know, how can you get upset? You know, how can you get mad? And he was great. He kept a great attitude in those two games that they had it, but he also can bounce back and people will now kind of make that decision and say, okay, we're going to stay with the shooters then. And then he, he senses that and then he gets really aggressive and we try to give him the ball as much as we can. Now, Carson Edwards was very good for you last year. Did you think he was capable of making this type of, of leap and jump as a, a sophomore? Yeah, you know, I thought last year he was like a one-to-one guy, his turnover ratio. Now he's done much better in that area. Just for him picking his spots, you know, learning to play um, with other good players. I think that's – he's such a – he's a very, very confident player. And so you don't want to take that from him. But he's also got to understand numbers. He's got to understand angles. And he's done a much better job of that, of just making the extra pass, um, doing the little things off of penetration, jump stop and be under control, um, seeing the floor, but also getting to the basket. He's a, he's a really good free throw shooter, and he's got the ability to get to the basket. And um, sometimes he can settle and take too many jumpers, um, which he's got a great pull up. And he's got a lot to his game. Sometimes those guys that got everything to their game, you know, they, they, they want to, every game they want to put it on display. And uh, sometimes it's just taking your open threes, getting to the basket, get some free throws, and then getting your 18 that way. And, you know, for him, I think that was hard at first. It was really hard. And it was something that we, you know, really kind of hounded on him. Like, you know, put your energy in your effort, put your energy in your defense, put your energy in getting long rebounds. And just play off your instincts on the offensive end and let things come to you. And, um, you know, he's got a chance to be a special player. You, if he's here for four years. You know, he'll score 2,000 points. And, um, you know, he's an all-league type player. And so, yeah, we were very, very fortunate to be able to get him. You guys are obviously in the midst of a tremendous season, but I'm sure that you have bigger goals. If you guys are going to reach your ultimate goal of winning the league, going to a Final Four, winning a national championship, What's the area that you're really pushing these guys to improve and get better at? Uh, probably just being better at um, what we're already good at. Cause I think we can still make strides there of just taking what people give us. Don't have that predetermined thought, you know, coming into a game, but that's, that's my big thing. Um, Cause some games are going to be, 
you're going to get more opportunities from the perimeter. Some games are going to take that away. Um, but also just put your energy, you know, into your effort, into your attitude and just be able to, you know, to play. And I, I think that's the, the biggest thing. Obviously the number one from a fundamental standpoint is the rebounding. Um, we, we have to do a better job, especially on the defensive glass, of not letting people get second chance opportunities. So that's what we work on a lot. We work on the rebounding piece of it a lot and just being conscious of what's going on and where balls are going and making sure we're hitting guys and not letting them get angles through the glass. But more than anything, I think, you know, we, we hold serve in some areas and uh, we take what the defense gives us and, and just play together. You know, good things are going to happen. Now I want to get to the real hard-hitting stuff here, Coach. Word on the street is you're a, a big old-school rap fan. Do you, do oh yeah. You, do you have a favorite yeah. favorite song? <laughs> um, I wouldn't say a favorite song. Run DMC was my favorite group. Just you know, being a basketball player, whether I was at you know my high school or the boys' club or the Y or wherever it was in Muncie, like early '80s, mid '80s. That's what uh, Run DMC kind of hit, and that was my group. So, well, ne- next yeah, time I have you on, I'll, I'll have you uh, be prepared to to do a little rap for us. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not going to do any rapping. I've embarrassed myself enough. <laughs> I'll listen to it. You can play it. And I'll listen to it. Well, last question, Coach, before I let you go. Uh, if you weren't uh, a college basketball coach, what, what would you be doing with your life? Oh, I would have taught school and probably been a high school coach. I know it's the same profession in a way, but, but that's what I would have done. Awesome. Well, Coach, I appreciate you taking out the time. I know it was a chunk. Thank you, and uh, good luck the rest of the way this season. Okay. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Evan. This is De'Aaron Fox. Fox, who has his first 30-point game at Kentucky, has two more for 32 on the night. Well, they said he was like John Wall. And you're listening to the sideline with Evan Daniels. I'd like to once again thank Purdue head basketball coach Matt Painter for jumping on the sidelines with Evan Daniels podcast. Enjoyed that conversation. Now, before I let you guys go, I want to get to three big topics in the world of college basketball, and I want to stick with the Purdue theme here. We talked about it in our conversation, but I think Isaac Haas has been one of the best players in all of college basketball. Now, he doesn't have the the gaudy numbers that a a Marvin Bagley or a Trey Young or a DeAndre Ayton have had, but the impact he has had on his basketball team is really felt. And this is a kid that you can throw the ball into, and he can go get a basket. He's automatic over his left shoulder. But he's got such good hands, tremendous touch. For a guy standing seven foot two, it's very impressive. Averaging 14.6 points, 5.3 rebounds. And one of the things I think is so impressive about this kid is his development. This is a kid that was ranked in the back end of his of the top 100 when he came out of high school. Averaged 7.6 points a game, and he has steadily improved every single season. And a lot of a testament to that Purdue coaching staff for getting him better. Uh, And he obviously had the opportunity to play with some really good college basketball players and against Caleb Swanigan in practice for three years. Uh, But Isaac Haas is undervalued nationally, and and this kid is a a force. And I said it earlier in the show, he's a cheat code inside, man. You throw the ball into him, he's going to get a basket. And in a world where big men are becoming more and more obsolete, uh, especially the higher you go, the the, the way basketball is going, uh, especially at the NBA level, is is smaller. I'm curious to see how Isaac Haas and if and how 
he can possibly fit into that league. But I, I think he's been absolutely tremendous and a, a major part of Purdue's success and, and one of the reasons that if they go on to, to a Final Four or to a national championship game, he's going to be a massive part of it. Second thing I want to discuss is Kevin Keats over at North Carolina State. In his first season, he has the pack 15-7, and seven, sitting at fifth place in the ACC Conference. Now keep in mind here, Kevin Keats, seven years ago, was a high school basketball coach, coaching at Hargrave Military Academy. He was there from 2000, his second stint there was from 2003 to 2011. Then he went to Louisville and was an assistant coach there for a couple years, and then he spent the last three years at UNC Wilmington, taking them to the NCAA tournament the past two seasons. So seven years ago, he was coaching high school basketball, and this year alone, he has wins over Sean Miller, Roy Williams, and Coach K, and has a team that's mainly filled with players that he didn't recruit on the bubble for the NCAA tournament. Now, grad transfer Alec Freeman has played a big part in their team's success this season. Braxton Beverly has as well. He's a freshman, so is LeVar Batts. But the development of Omer Yurtseven, who I thought always had a lot of potential, um, ha- has been notable. He's starting to, to play um, productive and be effective. He's averaging nearly 14 points a game. But I, I think Kevin Keats should be commended for the job that he's doing at NC State in just his first year. This is a guy that, that likes to instill a quick, up-tempo, tough, pressing style of basketball it's fun to watch and he's quickly having success at nc state and i think it's just the beginning he's bringing in four four star prospects in next year's class he's also in on uh anthony simons uh arguably the best player available in the 2018 class so i think bright things and days are ahead for NC State fans. Last topic I want to discuss discuss is the top point guard for the 2018 NBA draft. And right now, I think it boils down to two players. And they went head-to-head this past weekend. I'm obviously referring to Trey Young, who's been the most productive player in all of college basketball, and Colin Sexton. I thought the uh, the head-to-head matchup was a, a little bit of a draw. We'll start with Trey Young. It took him a little bit to get going. Finished 6 of 17 from the field, but 4 of 9 from 3. Uh, 17 points, had 8 assists and 5 turnovers. The thing about Trey Young and the advantage he has over Colin Sexton uh, is one is shooting. He's such a tremendous shooter, and that's something that he's continued to improve over the last year and a half. In the EYBL last year, he shot 35% from 3. Uh, This year he's hovering right around the 40% mark, but he's obviously taken some very difficult shots, uh, can shoot it from well beyond the stripe, has a quick trigger, great footwork. Uh, This is a kid that has clearly put in the time. So I think he has the shooting advantage, and I think he's a a better passer distributor than Colin Sexton. Those are the two areas that I would certainly give over Colin Sexton right now. Now, Sexton in 32 minutes was 8 of 14 from the field, 1 of 4 from 3, 18 points, just 2 assists and 3 turnovers. The thing I love about Colin Sexton is how aggressive of a driver he is and the competitiveness that he plays at. This is a tough, physical, hard-playing guard prospect. Now, I think he has more potential as a defender, especially as you go up to that next level than, than Trey Young. But I will say Colin does have a tendency to get lost in the game, and that causes him uh, to lose focus 
focus on the defensive ends. You'll see that from time to time. So he may have better tools, but sometimes uh, he loses focus. I did a, a big board over on 24-7 Sports updating uh, who I think are the top 25 NBA draft prospects for 2018. And I had Trey Young sitting at number seven and Colin Sexton City at number eight. So I think those are the top two point guards in this upcoming draft class. Obviously, there's other guys like Trey Vaughn Duvall, uh, but I think they're much further down the list, at least at this stage. But it was fun to see these two go back and forth. And, and obviously, uh, Trey Young has been absolutely tremendous this season. I mentioned it a second ago, the most productive player in all of college basketball, averaging 29.6 points a game, 9.6 assists a game. We had him on this podcast earlier this year, an electric kid, uh, a, a terrific interview. I thought he was absolutely awesome on the podcast. But I, I was really impressed with, uh, at the beginning of this month, he was kind of getting ripped apart for the three-game stretch where he turned the ball over so much. Uh, you know, he had a three-game stretch where he had turned the ball over a number of times. I think it was 28 times in three games. And I, I think over the last two games against Kansas and Alabama, he's played much more within himself. He especially did at Kansas when he was 7 of 9, had 26 points and 9 assists. So I think he needs to be commended because he was picked apart across the country. And he stepped up and he showed a more efficient brand of basketball. So I was very impressed by that. Uh, I will note that there's a ways to go between these two. And I, I've talked to a number of NBA executives and uh, it's not a shoe in that he goes as the first point guard, at least at this stage. is uh, five months away from, from the draft. But I, I think Colin Sexton uh, brings such tremendous energy and effort uh, and physicality uh, to the point guard position, and, and he's as competitive as a kid that I've ever covered. So I'm I'm looking forward to watching this point guard battle unfold between Trey Young and Colin Sexton. That is all I have for you today. I appreciate you guys listening. Before I let you go, I want to make sure that you are subscribed to the Sidelines with Evan Daniels podcast. You can do that over on Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app. Hit the subscribe button for me. You can also support us by leaving a rating or a review. Thanks for listening and have a great week.